0: and welcome to episode number 41 of the Random Thoughts podcast. That's R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts.com. I'm your host, Darren O'Neill. On today's show, we're going to be talking about vinyl. A few episodes ago, I told you I was in the market for a new turntable to spin that said vinyl, and I finally decided upon a unit A turntable from the company Project, that's Piero J E C T, the debut Carbon Esprit SB, and have been having a whole lot of fun once the thing got set up, going back through some old vinyl, playing some new stuff, and realizing a few things about vinyl that I had never known before. Now, I got into vinyl as a kid because that was the main medium that was available the real, to reel stuff was around but was never really convenient then you had cassette tapes which i was never really a big fan of so for me a vast majority of the music was on vinyl up until the point the cd came out in the mid 80s And I got my first CD player, I believe, for Christmas in 1985 or 1986. And I remember that being a really big deal. At the time, the CD player was heralded as something that was sonically superior, more convenient, a better way to store music. And as we all know, if you follow this stuff at all, that's really a highly contested thing between audio files. And we're not really going to be talking about the difference here between CDs, digital music, which I put really into the same category because if everything is working as it should, the exact same data should be on a CD as is the digital download. Of course, now with digital downloads, we're getting into a higher bit rate and you're getting into higher resolution audio files that are in a better, more enhanced, more data. So of course, more music file format than you did with the CD. So this is kind of like going from the DVD into a Blu-ray. The high res audio gives you more data. But most people can't really hear a difference unless you're talking about having an audio system with thousands or probably tens of thousands of dollars invested to start hearing the difference between CD files and high-res files. Now, some people claim they can, some claim they can't, but for me, they may be better. But the bang for the buck when you start going from CD into that, it becomes very questionable on if you want to invest in that the easiest way would be to get a file of one in the normal CD resolu- resolution and get the same file in a high res play them both back and see if you can hear a difference now with vinyl it's an interesting thing to me because it's coming back which is maybe the the strangest thing is that music sales are falling we all know we're living in an era now where everything is streamed So you don't even have to go out to the record store, which I miss. There are very few record stores around. When I was a kid going through even through high school and into college, there were record stores everywhere from the big guys like Tower Records and Rose Records here in Chicago down to the little mom and pop stores. And that really has disappeared, which is kind of disappointing to me because that was always an interesting way to go and experience music in a little bit of a different way you'd go and you'd browse through see what they had you'd pick up stuff just on a whim because maybe you like the album art which is something you don't really get anymore in the digital era the album art on an lp was a really big deal which is why you know we've got a bunch of frames that fit albums and fit uh, the picture disc so you can hang them on the wall because they really are pieces of art amongst themselves. And those all got shrinked down for CDs. And of course, now they've totally disappeared with digital. You know, maybe some people have, you know, you see the little thing on your, you know, your iPhone or your iPad or whatever, when it's playing, but most people aren't paying attention to art. Some artists still include a PDF, you know, to try to recreate that concept, but it's really a different vibe with digital because it's not a physical thing. You don't have to pick something up. You don't have to handle it. You don't have to take the record out of the sleeve and then out of the plastic or paper inner sleeve and carefully put it down on the turntable and pick up the needle and put it down. So it's interesting to me that that's the antithesis. Digital is the antithesis of vinyl in the way that digital gives you all of the convenience, fairly pristine sound, no pops or clicks, no skips. Keeping a CD clean is pretty damn easy. You know, even if your kid picks it up with peanut butter and jelly on their hand, you can run it under some water and rub it with the microfiber cloth and you're good to go. Vital is the exact opposite, meaning it's much harder to keep clean. You basically, every time you listen to a record, you're probably doing some kind of damage to it, even if it's on an infinitesimal level. And the experience is much more of a pain in the ass. But I think, sadly enough, that's kind of what I like about it. And looking back at the history of the long playing record, which is where LP comes from, the 33 and a third RPM records that we're all used to, if you've ever seen a turntable and ever seen a record, and maybe some people haven't, like this again, we're living in a digital world now where you were fairly limited to about 22 23 minutes per side and of course it also meant that you had to go and you know flip that thing over if you wanted to hear the whole album it was first introduced the lp in the format that we know today columbia records introduced what they called this microgroove specification back in 1948 and beside the fact that it was mono then and we have now moved forward, actually, it wasn't that long after this was introduced into stereo, the overall technology has not really changed a whole lot from the time it was introduced in 1948. And I thought that was a fairly interesting thing. I mean, how many technologies can you say that about? have been around for over 70 years and haven't really changed much. The technology all started back because of movie soundtracks, because you had to have something to play the audio along with the picture that was going on on the screen. That goes back to about 1926, but they were still using larger grooves like 78s, which were the precursors, of course, to the LP. The main difference between them, 78s went at a much faster speed, 78 rounds per minute, where... The 33 and a third is obviously 33 and a third revolutions per minute. The 78s were made out of shellac, where the LPs are made out of vinyl, hence we call them vinyl. And the 78s had larger grooves. So this started back going with the soundtracks from movies. And it was interesting to me to find out that syndicated radio programs were distributed by 78s starting back in 1928. So this concept of having a disc of audio goes way back to 1928 when syndicated radio was using that so we're coming up on a hundred years of this technology there were a bunch of programs which is why if you go to record shows and stuff now these are some of the most collectible stuff were discs put out that were never meant to be sold things like westwood one who if you've ever listened to the radio especially going back into the seventies and eighties, they had the weekly shows. It was a concert or specials or that, that was a national thing. And the way the radio stations got this audio were actually through LPs. You know, now we take all this stuff for granted. The fact that we can do everything digitally, the fact that I can sit in my house talking into this microphone and stream it live to the world. We forget that there was a time not that long ago that this technology didn't exist, and if you wanted to get audio for a nationwide broadcast, you had to get the audio to all the different stations, and the way they were doing that was through LPs, and this lasted. The final holdouts were Westwood Ones, The Beatle Years, and The Dr. Demento Show, something I always loved listening to as a kid. Those were still distributed via vinyl LPs all the way through 1992. Now, most of this stuff was labeled to tell the radio stations, you know, hey, once you played this episode, these weren't to be sold. Destroy the albums. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, most of them were never destroyed. They went home with employees and you can find them on the secondary market. That's where you can find a lot of those. Great old concert programs on LP from a bunch of the great rock and roll artists out there. So it's an interesting collectibles market because there are a bunch of LPs out there that were never even meant for you to be owned. So, you know, those are always fun to have because you, you can get stuff that you can go to a store and buy. But when your friends come over and you put something on, they're like, hey, what's that? Where do I get that? And you're like, I don't know. You got to really know where to find this stuff. That's where. The LP, I think that's the overall mentality of people that are into vinyl LPs are you want something that's more rare. You want something that's interesting. You want something that is not easy to come by, which, you know, it kind of gives you that hunting for things. And again, as a kid, it used to be fun going into different record stores and looking for certain things. Where now this is mainly gone online, which is both good and bad. I mean, it's not as fun to hunt for stuff if you just have to go onto eBay. On the bright side, prices have kind of come down because you can see what all these things are selling for. So it's not as easy to get taken, where somebody figures out, "Hey, this guy walked in the door. We have this Westwood One concert by Billy Idol. He's interested. We could sell it for a hundred bucks." You know, you didn't know the guy in the next town over was selling it for ten. So the internet has definitely helped with that kind of stuff. But going back to the LP format, it was introduced June 18th, 1948. So it just had a birthday and we're you know this is a format that's been around for a long time. When it was introduced, they had two different formats to it. The 12 inch, which is the LP that we're used to today, and a slightly smaller 10-inch format. The 12-inch was mainly being used for classical music, but the 10-inch for popular stuff including in that first batch that Columbia put out was the reissue, which had been on 78 of the voice of Frank Sinatra. So Sinatra was there at the birth of this format. And a lot of people will uh, argue that he was the one that really made the 12 inch LP into the format that it was back then. and has turned into now where it told a story that the, the before then, we had a concept which we've moved back to, and I think this is the horrible thing about digital music is that before the LP was out, you had artists that were living single to single. They put out, you know, a single, one song on one side, one song on the other. So the thing you bought, you had two songs coming to you. There was no concept of an album where an artist like Sinatra, and then of course going into the Beatles and everybody else making music where you could tell a story throughout that 45 minutes and then, you know, through double LPs, of course, that was up to 90 minutes where a collection of songs from start to finish had a interweaving theme. They told a story, they took you on a journey. This is something that has totally been screwed by digital music. Now, more and more, I see artists putting out things rather than a full album where it used to be, even in country music, which were really known for short albums. Country music, if you look back, thirty minutes was kind of seemed to be like, yeah, we did our job, we got our ten to twelve songs, we got about thirty minutes, we're done. We're rock and roll artists. They usually push that a little bit more, but we're seeing again artists that just decide, well, you know what, albums are dead. We don't. We're not. We don't have this format that we have to try to work ourselves into anymore. So artists, even that were big into the album thing, Cheryl Crow's one I just saw the other day released a little EP, which had like four songs on it of new material. And I'm like, I am disappointed by this turn due to digital music, not having an album concept also because places that sell music from Amazon to Apple, wherever you want to buy digital music, you're not forced to buy them as an album anymore. So people are just buying the hits, the song they hear, and they're not buying them in full albums anymore or they're just simply using a streaming service and they're not listening to music the same way that they used to and I think that is a sad thing. I think that's really something that's being lost and maybe it's just because attention spans are getting shorter. But I really do think that is something that is being lost on this new generation of music listener that there are these things called albums that Are a cohesive piece of art. All the songs together were all meant to be there. You weren't supposed to just pick and choose one or two that they're songs that they're playing on the radio. On the bright side, it does seem like a lot of the younger generation is kind of getting interested in this vinyl thing. Interested in albums. And I appreciate artists like Jack White, who continues to use the format, not only use the format. Of the LP record, but continues to do things, innovate, and create things that nobody's ever seen before, concepts that nobody's really played around with before. And it's artists like him that I think are really going to help keep this vinyl thing going. He's put his money where his mouth is, there's no doubt about it, because he has third man records and he built the first record. Pressing plant in Detroit. This is going back a few years. But when he had built this plant, it was the first new record pressing plant that was built in the United States in like 30 years. So vinyl had kind of been forgotten. And other people are following through. Sony Music, I believe, just opened up one of their first record pressing plants in a long, long time. But Jack White puts his money where his mouth is. He has his own record label. He decides, hey, you know what? I can press my own stuff. I like an artist who wants to have control from beginning to end of the artistic work. And there's a really cool YouTube video out there from Adam Savage of Mythbusters fame doing his show called Tested, where he goes into Third Man Records and records a song and watches how this goes from point A to point B to point C to a full-finished product. He talks to Jack White about the concept of analog versus digital, and Jack White made a very interesting comment, at least to me, about the difference between analog and digital. He said, well, when it comes to anything analog, it's like taking a pencil and continuously following around as the music is being played. That's basically your stylus, your needle analog signal where digital is never one long signal. It's always sample after sample after sample after sample, which is why we were talking about digital sample rates. That's how many samples there are per second of the music, but that is basically a combination of thousands of samples every second, and each one of those samples is individual. So it's, he said it's basically the difference between taking a pencil and tracing something where the pencil never leaves the surface and taking a pencil and going dot 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 and moving that pencil just a you know slight bit every time you move down the line and that really made a lot of sense to me because when something is fully analog it does seem to have a little bit more warmth and this is probably something that is maybe more psychological than anything else when you're dealing with people that are really into audio because again i understand digital i understand that it does a really good job. We're using it right now to produce this podcast and my voice sounds like my voice. When I record it analog, it still sounds like my voice. And the interesting thing is when you're dealing with that argument, for most things, you're listening to the exact same audio source beyond the EQing that is done Which is necessary for vinyl to sound right, which is something the RIAA came up with like 40, 50 years ago. But you're dealing with the same master tapes when you're listening to, you know, the Beatles' White Album. And if you have it on digital slash CD, or if you have it on an analog format, it's the exact same material that you're starting with. You're just putting it onto a different medium. So, When it comes down to it, they should sound pretty much the same. And any difference that you have are more artifacts of the format that you're using. LPs, you know, you get those little clicks and pops. Uh, Turntables have a slight variation in their speed every now and then. You have physical things that you have to deal with. And an LP kind of takes on a personality of its own. A lot of people don't realize that lps are such a fragile they're both fragile and nearly indestructible in different ways they're nearly indestructible in the way that once they've been made you know you can do a lot of things to them and not totally screw them up i mean you can run them underwater you know there are different ways to clean it people use crazy things from wood glue saying they have gotten really good results where you put the wood glue on you let it dry and then you peel it off, kind of like a face mask thing. You know, you're pulling out all the dirt from the uh, from inside the grooves. But I've used some very manual cleaning things, which was he went to Home Depot, picked up a brush that was meant for painting like into corners. You know, which is one of those long, flat brushes with uh, soft little bristles on the bottom of it, made a little bit of homemade cleaning solution, which is basically distilled water A little pop of Dawn dishwashing detergent and a little bit of alcohol, rub that around, rinsed it off using tap water, dried it off, works really well. So vinyl isn't as crazy fragile as people think it is, but in a way, the process of creating the vinyl is a little bit more fragile than the end product itself. In the fact that when you're making a record You take the master tapes, you turn those into an acetate, which is a metal disc. Then you take that and you convert that into the stamper, which is the thing that's used to make the record itself. So they take a biscuit, little hockey puck type thing of vinyl, and that the things, the stampers are actually what press together to create the vinyl that you take home. Now, the stampers that are used. Are not you make it once and they work forever they're very fragile in that sense from what i've read boutique places now that are doing these high quality vinyl pressings will make a thousand copies for every stamper because the stamper is metal and it's under a lot of pressure when you put this vinyl you know put together you're pressing it together it's actually taking a physical toll on those stampers. So in that run of a thousand, the first album that's made is going to be actually a little bit different than the thousands because it's going to have a bit of wear and tear on there. back in the day when vinyl was the thing they used to make up to 10,000 copies of the album before they would go back and redo the stampers. This really sets a major difference between the albums that were pressed early in the run and the ones that were pressed later in the run. It just that wear and tear of making album after album took its toll on those masters. So this is why there's a lot of these old albums that can go for a whole ton of money if you can find ones from the right run from they were early enough. That's why you see these little numbers that are etched into all the lps it gives you an idea of what when they were made where they were in the run if it's interesting if you go to discogs.com d-i-s-c-o-g-s it's a vinyl collecting music website when you go to any release like for instance let me just pull up an album here i just pulled up synchronicity by the police an album that I'd listened to right when I got my new turntable from a box set that was recently put out and it was absolutely fantastic. Great dynamic range, very quiet. Everything sounded great. But if you're looking for synchronicity by the police on a vinyl album, how many different pressings, how many different versions do you think are actually out there? The answer shocks most people. When I just pull this one up, the lp versions on the police synchronicity there were 176 different pressings of synchronicity over the years from the us canada around the world and europe and every time it was repressed there's a different version a different you know catalog number on there so finding an album now there's a whole new subset of collectors out there who are not only looking for the police synchronicity, they're looking for a very specific pressing of the police synchronicity, which makes, of course, your, your hunting just a little bit more difficult. But hell, that's what makes the hobby a whole lot more fun. And you can get absolutely insane when it comes down to this kind of stuff, especially if you have an ADD thing and you want to be a completist and you're like, Hey, I want every copy. I want every version of a particular album that's out there. Uh, You could be getting a lot of albums. Again, 176 copies of synchronicity, and they'd all be just slightly different. The vinyl is pretty much produced in two different grades. You have the normal 130 gram, or you'll see now a lot of them are 180 gram vinyl and records are historically pressed. With black vinyl. There was really no reason there, except they added the color to the vinyl. Otherwise, all vinyl would be clear. But today, you can get it in all different sorts of colors and designs. And there's still a lot of purists who'll tell you that the colored vinyl can't sound as good as the black. And that doesn't seem to be the case, at least to my ears. I think the quality of vinyl that they're using now is much better. The quality control is excellent from most of these uh, people that are putting out the albums now in the Jack White thing with Adam Savage's tested in the video. You see the amount of records that don't pass the quality control. So if you have people like at third man records where they're doing a visual inspection of everything that comes off of the presses, uh, the guy there at third man said they play one uh, at least every 25th record that's coming off to make sure that no problems have been introduced into the pressings. The color of the vinyl I don't think makes that big of a deal now. There's been a time back in the 70s they said there was a problem with some of the vinyl being not so good, but anything you're buying currently if it's been pressed recently, I wouldn't have a problem with the different colored vinyls. The picture discs I still think yeah, don't get as great of a sound on those but I'll have to pull out some of the the Taylor Swift picture discs that I have but it was a great deal on eBay at one point they were selling for like 8 dollars shipped for the 2 LP thing so I bought a bunch of them framed for the records because there were four different images on there and you know it was nice and cheap and those are back up to like 50 bucks I should have bought a bunch of them could be uh, could be making a lot of money on that but hey you know you live and learn as i said jack white is doing a lot to keep this vinyl stuff going to keep it interesting his latest album with his band the Tours, just came out and through third man records this isn't a big commercial for them but i really like a lot of the stuff that they're doing he has a thing where you could subscribe they have a package that comes out four times a year so every three months you get a package from third man records they tell you what it is before you could opt out if you want but it's 60 bucks a quarter and they send you some vinyl with some other little goodies with it. And it's interesting because if you go to eBay, the minute these things hit the consumer, they're being sold for twice the price. So I don't know if people are confused that you could buy this before it hits eBay. But hey, if you like Jack White and his kind of stuff, check out thirdmanrecords.com. The latest album from the Tours, the version that came to us Vault subscribers, had. One of those holographic fronts on the album. We've all seen them. They they even have, uh, they sell different posters and stuff with this kind of technology where it's slightly grooved and you notice as you move the angle that you're looking at the image, something changes a little bit. In the case of the album cover here, it is one of those little walk signs like you'd be seeing if you're walking down the street that would change from walk to don't walk. Well, this changes from their little Thumbs up logo to another thing. And this was a heavier kind of a piece of paper, right? This heavier stock that was put on top of the album. This would, you know, they used adhesive, put this on top of the cardboard that the album came in and everything's good. Well, people know Jack White. So some people, when they got this said, you know, knowing Jack, there might be something underneath this heavy stock hologram type thing so when you peel that off and it does damage the underlying cardboard sleeve which is kind of interesting as well because underneath this is a copy of the infamous Beatles butcher cover from yesterday and today the Beatles album that featured John Paul George and Ringo when like White coats sitting around like with dismembered baby dolls, and the record label at the time said, "Uh uh-uh, uh uh uh," so they changed the album cover. But there were some of those that went out that were already printed. So what they did, they threw the new ones over, and then some people were able to peel those away. Well, long story short, Jack White, in his infinite wisdom and his uh, his concept that vinyl should be fun, if you peel off this holographic cover you get a homage to the beatles butcher cover i mean you do rip the cover a little bit but you can at least see what's underneath so yes jack white put a arch well it was photoshopped he didn't totally recreate the thing they just put the raconteur's heads on john paul george and ringo but he had somebody create this fake album cover only to know it was going to be covered up with something else glued on top of it, that the only way people would ever see it was if somebody peeled off the actual cover to get down to that. And I find that to be absolutely hilarious. And it's definitely a plus for the collect- collectible community. And it's not the first thing Jack White has done when it comes to vinyl. If you own a turntable, I don't care if you don't like Jack White at all, I don't care if you don't like his music at all you need to own a copy of his album, Lazaretta, which he dubbed this as an ultra LP just due to the, the different features that this particular album has on it. And there's a YouTube video. That's great. That third man records put out about this album that you should definitely go check out as well, but it's, you know, pressed in 180 gram vinyl, which is good. There are two vinyl only, Hidden tracks on the center label. And this is something that I believe they were the first ones to do this at Third Man Records. They pressed short little snippets of songs underneath the actual label that has, you know, the band name, the record company name, all that stuff. So underneath the label. But since the label fits so tightly down upon it, the way the records are pressed, you can actually listen to these songs. Through the label. Yes, it's very noisy, very staticky, but they're there. And one side of the album has a hidden track that plays at 45 RPM, and the other side has a hidden track under the label that plays at 78 RPM, which makes us probably, and again, I can't tell, but I don't believe anybody else has ever done this, to where there's an album that contains songs. That are 33 and a third, 45, and 78 RPM. All three, one album. Yeah, it's just a quirky little thing. But again, this is something that only somebody that loves vinyl would come up with this stuff and put them in there. The other thing is side A on the album. If you were to put this down on your turntable and lay your needle down where you normally would on the outside of the record, it's going to go into an infinite loop that keeps playing over and over and over again. The reason for that is side A of Lazaretto plays from the inside out. So you take the needle, you put it down by the label on the inside of the album. And as the album plays, the tonar moves from the inside to the outside. And this is something that's done, not just to be cool and to say, Hey, we could do this. Why not? but because there are sonic differences between the outside of an album and the inside of an album. When you're on the outside of the album, you're actually covering more ground because your turntable always turns at the same speed. But of course, when you're at the outside of the circle, you're covering more ground. You can put more data in, you get a little bit more dynamic range at the outside of a record than you do on the inside so there have been a couple of albums that were pressed that were symphonic pieces that start very quietly but end with a great crashing crescendo it actually makes sense to have the needle track your tone arm track from the inside of the album and to the outside so that's also done here on lazaretto it's the only album i know in the rock and roll sphere that says that. And it's also something you could really freak your friends out when you put the needle down on the inside of the record and it starts moving out. Cause it is a little bit weird. You're, you're very used to something working in one way. And when it's doing something the exact opposite, it's a little bit trippy to watch, but it's cool and it works and it still sounds really cool. The other thing that he's done on this album, which also, I believe is the first time this has ever been done, is they used dual groove technology. At the beginning of side two, there's a song called "Just One Drink." And depending on exactly how you drop the needle, you will either get the first minute or so, which is an electric version, or you drop the needle just so you get an acoustic version. And then they eventually meet and go on to play the rest of the song. So there's two different intros to this one song on one vinyl record, depending on where you put the needle down. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild to me. And it's not something that you're going to expect on every album. And it might get really annoying if it was done in every album, but the fact that they sat down and went, what could we do? And they really put to some good use the technology that they had on hand the fact that they have an album that plays with some tracks 33 and a third some 45 some 78 the other weird thing about the album is one side looks shiny like you expect albums to now the other side looks like a very matte finish like you would expect the old time shellac 78s to so it's it's a very unique album they also have as if this wasn't enough But there's also a little hologram on the one side of the album as the record spins. They actually had an artist come in. They noticed this guy's work where he was etching things into metal. And as the metal spun, it created like these little holographic illusions. And on the inside of side one, the one where you start on the inside, it looks, if you look at it at just the right angle, like there is a spinning angel. Both above and below the label as the record spins. It's just some very quirky, weird stuff. And oh, the other thing about this album that I absolutely loved was not only did Jack White figure, hey, well, people who are buying the vinyl, they deserve to get something a little special that is a different running order than the CD, which that happens every now and then because you only get a certain amount of time on each side of an LP. But there were actually different mixes used for the vinyl version than the CD and digital version, which means if you want to hear every different version of that song put out, well, then you need the vinyl because the vinyl mix is a little bit different than the digital mix. And the other thing which audiophiles will love is the fact that absolutely zero compression was used during the recording mixing and mastering of the vinyl version which again makes it a different experience than you'll get with digital everybody knows digital music is compressed a lot just by default so if you get the lp version of jack white's lazaretto you don't have to deal with any of that compression you just get the pure unadulterated music so I have to say, I've been having a lot of fun with my turntable. I like it quite a bit. Even my wife, who normally just because everything sounds alike, admits that there is a sonic improvement between the Audio-Technica LP120 and this, as there's definitely more clarity to this one and definitely a better overall sound. So it's, it's been fun to go back through a bunch of albums i go back to 1980 for the first albums i remember the first album i ever bought myself was billy joel's glass houses back in 1980 and that's when i really start playing music the beatles john lennon his passing really got me into the beatles in 1980 i was 10 years old my parents had all the old beatles lps so i went through and listened to those quite a bit but you know i never until this turntable now ever sat down and was blown away by the sound of a vinyl record. I always enjoyed the vinyl records. I always thought they sounded good, but I was one of the guys who was like, well, you know, CDs sound sound really damn good. Digital sounds really damn good. But the fact of the matter was, as a kid, I was playing on a turntable which wasn't so good. So yeah, I mean it played. You could hear the music, but it wasn't super high fidelity. And when I finally picked up a turntable a couple of years ago, the You know, the Audio Technica LP 120, or maybe it's 120 LP. The sound was decent, but it didn't just blow me away where this project one really does. And it's really opened my eyes to, well, ears, I guess, to the fact that vinyl really does have an excellent frequency range, great response when it comes down to just being able to produce music in a way. That's amazing when you think that it's a format that hasn't really changed much in about 70 years. Setting up the turntable was a breeze, except for the fact they have a little weight that is needed. They call it the anti-skate weight, which keeps the needle from wanting to just, you know, fly all over the place. And this comes, it's a very, very small weight, the size of maybe like a pencil eraser that is has to go oh it's a little small piece of fishing line. And for a minute I didn't even think it had anything connected to it until I saw that it was a little clear piece of fishing line that had the smallest of lassos at the end of it, which had to be put over a very small post on the turntable on the arm. And that was really the only pain in the ass because one, I have really big hands, which makes dealing with small things really incredibly a pain in the ass. And two having only one good eye and that one's not so good depth perception, maybe not the best trying to get that little loop over the post. uh, Wasn't a lot of fun. They need to come up with a better way to connect the anti skate weight. But beyond that setup was a breeze. Got it, of course, through Amazon, big, bad Amazon, but it was delivered in a day. Setup was easy. And the overall sound quality on this thing is amazing. The cartridge that comes with it, they say you can even improve on that. The one that comes with it was about a hundred bucks to replace. The step up was just a little bit under 200 bucks. So maybe at some point when we wear this thing out, which is another good thing, I guess, to point out is that cartridges don't last forever. From what I've read, a cartridge will have a break in period of about 20 to 30 hours before you really start getting the optimal sound on them. And then they should last anywhere from 500 to 1,000 hours. So they don't last forever. If you listen to a lot of music, make sure your cartridge isn't worn out because that will start doing damage to the album. That's one thing vinyl, you know, can't beat digital with. Digital, you could play a billion times. You're never going to damage that file. Well, you know, unless your hard drive crashes, but vinyl, you have to make sure you're keeping it in good shape, you're keeping it clean. It does take a little bit of maintenance. So the future of vinyl, where are we going? And there is some place we're going, and it hasn't really happened yet, but it's in the process of happening. In May of this year at the Making Vinyl Conference in Berlin, Gunther Loibo, L-O-I-B-O, unveiled the perfect groove software for creating 3D topographic audio data files. It's a critical step in the production of what they're going to be calling HD vinyl. That data will then provide what is needed for a laser engraving of a ceramic stamper. So instead of using those metal stampers that only last about a thousand pressings, that'll allow them to laser engrave a ceramic stamper, which will allow them to get increased amplitude, increased playing time and overall better sound. So it's interesting to see that we still have this format going strong All the old turntables are still going to be able to play this HD vinyl, and I am definitely looking forward to it. Hey, if you're a vinyl head, you got a favorite album or something that I need to check out, feel free to reach out to us at RandomThoughtsPodcast, R-A-N-D-U-M-B, ThoughtsPodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at RandomPodcast, R-A-N-D-U-M-B Podcast, or at Darren O'Neill, d a r r e n o n E I L L. Tell me what your favorite albums are. Tell me what I need to check out. Tell me what your favorite gear is. Do I need to get one of these uh, anti static guns? Does that really help? What's your favorite way to clean records? There's a million ways to do that. And everybody's got an opinion, and it's usually your opinion's wrong. So I'd like to know how do you clean those records to keep them sounding good? We do have an executive producer for this episode. So once again, we'd like to thank our buddy Jay Finley baron walkman for his contribution he put a little note in saying he enjoyed the last episode which was on justice and i know we mentioned him in the last episode in regards to his daughter starting college and the first thing they throw down your throat is social justice warrioring 101 so we're glad you enjoyed that episode jay finley uh we're just trying to make sense out of an absolutely insane world here and we appreciate your support of the show more than words can actually describe so We will simply say thank you from the bottom of our heart. If you like what you're hearing on the Random Thoughts podcast, and we hope you do, you can go to our website at randomthoughts.com and click that little donate button. We do value for value. If you want to buy me an album, that would be absolutely cool. We appreciate you listening. Go to the websites. Do one of those little buttons that says subscribe, whether you use Apple, Android, or something else. Hey, you can get it emailed to you every time a new episode drops so you don't miss a single episode i hope you enjoy this little excursion into the history of vinyl because it's fun to do an episode every now and then where i don't have to rant about how bad things are and we could just talk about things we enjoy and until next time i'm going to go play some more records and i hope you have a great day until next time i am darren o'neill thanks for listening